So we were talking before about Henry Beaufort School, but Henry Beaufort, um, he was, he was, you probably know this, he was the Bishop of Winchester in uh, 1404. Uh, you just made that date up, didn't you, Richard? But, no, oh. no, 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 no. I might have looked at Wikipedia between oh. <laughs> the last time we spoke and this time we spoke. But yeah, interesting. He was the, he was the Bishop of Lincoln. And then he became the Bishop of Winchester and ended up being kind of like a papal representative to Germany, Hungary and Bohemia. So that's that's my interesting historical fact. for the, well, well, one of my interesting historical facts for the day, anyway. I'm hugely impressed. I, uh, when we used to teach uh, the children about... Uh, how to talk about Winchester in French and German, that we, we would uh, say that uh, the nave of Winchester Cathedral is the longest in Europe. It is, isn't it? It is. And and uh, the German word for nave is Kirchenschiff, which means church ship. Did you know really? that? that hmm. No, that's another good German word, though, isn't it? Well, of which there are lots, <laughs> and of course, Beaufort is a, a is a nice French word. <laughs> Should we have all called it Henri Beaufort? Well, presumably, back in the day, he was a Henri Beaufort, or his family was a Beaufort family. Yeah, he was. He was definitely born in born in France. But the only thing that I remember us ever knowing about him at school was that he was, and apparently it, it's not strictly true, but he was the guy that was meant to have been the person that signed Joan of Arc's death warrant. Gosh, controversial. Yeah, and he was there. He he didn't actually do that, but he was there when they burnt her at the stake. And in recent, I say recent times, this century, there's been, because he's buried in Winchester Cathedral, um, but now there's actually a statue of Joan of Arc, which faces his tomb in Winchester Cathedral. Is there? Yeah, she's got her eye on him all the time. I'm not surprised. At least he tries to raise himself up from the grave and burn her to death all over again. So, he's, yeah, he's, there you go. He, that Henry Beaufort and Joan of Arc. He sounds like that sort of rather evil uh, Bishop of Bath and Wells type, you know, with a florid red face and... Uh, and, uh, yeah, well, he was he was actually put in charge of what was known as the Fourth Crusade, which was a crusade against the Hussites in Bohemia, um, who were a kind of pre-Reformation Protestant part of the church. And, uh, yeah, he took a load of people over there and did them in. And then, you know, it's one of those things that all gets confused. And then they arrested Joan of Arc and then they burnt Joan of Arc and... I think the only thing to come out of it really is that if the one way that you can guarantee yourself getting buried in a cathedral is to kill lots of people on the way. And that's, that's a guaranteed thing. Well, Jane Austen didn't. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I can't imagine Jane Austen as, uh, as the local ax murderess of, uh, of Hampshire, surely. No, that's true. Okay. So that, that's a bit of a generalization and nor did William Walker. He didn't kill anybody. He's the he's the diver, isn't he? Yeah, he's the diver. He's the guy that went underneath the cathedral when it was sinking, and uh, propped it up with with sandbags. Which brings me on to uh, I know we're jumping ahead now into the future, but there was Winchester being built on water. Basically, there was when, when the Brook Centre was being discussed and decisions were being made about which design the Brook Centre was going to take, 
there was um, a public forum. There was these models and there was like four or five different models down at the Guild Hall and people could vote on which one that they thought was going to be the best shopping centre for Winchester. But what actually happened, and this was told to me by a guy that worked in the architects department in Winchester City Council, he was in the pub one day and he said to me that whoever built the Brooks, whatever company it was that ended up building the Brooks as it is now, just gave the city council a big ton of money to let them do it no matter what. And they did it because they also had a plot of land on the south bank of the Thames and they wanted to do a trial run, a kind of feasibility test to see how easy it was building a multi-storey underground car park underneath the water table. And so to do that, they wanted a, a dry run, lol. Um, so they gave Winchester City Council a big ton of money. And that's how we ended up with the Brooks that we've got. Have, and that is a prefab building completely, as as you know. Have you have you got a good lawyer, Richard? Yes, very, very, very good indeed. Um, very good. I know that a certain percentage of that story is definitely true because I went along to that exhibition and uh, there was one design that was extremely good and stood out above all the others uh, and was voted by a very large majority of the local populace to be the one that was chosen. And the one that was, in fact, chosen was the worst and the least popular. And it has been a horrendous block, blot on the landscape ever since. It had a yeah, as I say, it was just, it was, I mean, it was a guy in a pub told me that, so I don't know how it can't be true. <laughs> It was the Eagle Obviously. Hotel as well. Out of all the pubs in the world, it could be. It was the Eagle Hotel. That was rat and uh, insect infested, that place. I came out oh. of there one day after a gig and literally I had flea bites all over me. A gig in the Eagle Hotel? Yes, it was Chris Willey. Do you remember Chris Willey? Who, uh, who used to work for uh, the Attic Theatre. He was a guitar player and he had a band called Chris Willey and the HGBs. And they played in the front bar of uh, of the Eagle Hotel. It's now is it flats for very deprived people or something? I think so. Yeah, it's but it it had a bit of a renaissance. Well, we it, used to go there back in the Johnny Favorites uh, Tubes Records days. We used to go there a bit. That's 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 one of the places where Joe Strummer was sent to buy beer. Well, it's probably because it was very near to the uh, record store and uh, the nearest place for you to go and get a pint, I would have thought, Rich. And the Albion being the Albion back then would have been closed. So Yeah, yeah it was periodically closed and reopened and changed hands and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm thinking about both four because uh, <laughs> probably if you'd put that word in front of the children and asked them to pronounce it, they would call it, as, as, as you so uh, delightfully put it last week, bumfart or something. Have you ever wondered why uh, Bewley in the New Forest, a very attractive village where the uh, Motor Museum is, which is visited by tourists from all over the world, particularly from France, mm -hmm. is pronounced Bewley and not Beaulieu because it's actually spelt Beaulieu? Oh, you see, I never, I never thought about it. Obviously, I, it's it's ingrained into my head. There's some deep down hidden knowledge that it's obviously a French word, but to me, it's it's just always been, it's always been Bewley. Yeah, but listen, I mean, it's B-E-A-U-L-I-E-U, -E -E which means beautiful place. Hmm. 
And, of course, you can see straight away the link between the French word beau and the English word beautiful because they're spelled the same uh, first four letters. Yeah. Um, but how strange that the English have to anglicise everything. I suppose it's typically typical of this uh, nation that loves to colonise things because, uh, you know, they couldn't just say this place is called Beaulieu. They have to say it's called Bewley. Uh, but really, theoretically speaking, it should be spelled B-E-W-L-E-Y. There must have been, I wonder who gave, I wonder who gave it the name to begin with. I mean, what French lord back after the Norman Conquest <laughs> landed in Bewley? <laughs> And decided to call it, <laughs> how do you say it again? Beaulieu? Beaulieu. Well, no, he didn't. He decided not to call it Beaulieu. That's the crucial thing. But he would have done. He would have done. And then it's just the the, the peasant farmers decided to hang The peasants hang said, oi, don't you come over here calling our place Beaulieu. It's bloody Beaulieu, mate. Because they all talk <laughs> like that down in the New Forest. Well, I'm sure they do. Yeah, but... it's not the place that, that's associated with the witches, though. That's uh, that's uh, Burley, which is actually spelled B-U-R-L-E-Y. Burley, which is about like a two miles away, and uh, uh, for some reason, which I've never worked out, consists almost entirely of shops selling uh, witches' hats and uh, spell books and things like that. Oh, so you say you don't you don't know why? So you don't know why it has an association with witches? No, I'm sure uh, somebody uh, would tell us uh, one day, but uh, I, I've never worked it out. It doesn't feel very sort of spooky or frightening at all. It's just a sort of rather pretty little village. Hampshire villages with something to do with witches sounds immensely fascinating. <laughs> I'm just picturing all these uh, French lords you were talking about rolling up in their um, Donald Campbell bluebirds or uh, or um, white Rolls Royces belonging to John Lennon, the kind of things that, that's exhibited in that uh, rather good museum, which, do you know, it has a monorail? Yes, yes. Mm. Because Bewley Motor Museum is one of the places that if you if you grow up in the south of England, that is just such a classic day trip everybody as a child has has gone to Bewley and it's interesting you you mentioning the name Donald Campbell because on the uh, earlier this year on the theatre tour I was doing we played the Brewery Arts Centre in, in Kendall which is just down the yes. road from Coniston Water where yes. Donald Campbell died on the what's the phrase to use the the <laughs> land speed not not that water speed record attempt uh I thought you were, when you said he died on the, I thought, he's going to come out with the actual date that Donald Campbell died. I can't believe the depths of knowledge this gentleman has. It was six. Uh, it's a world water speed record, yes. Yeah, world water speed. He he died attempting the world water speed record on Coniston Water. And I was talking to Davey and anybody else that would listen to me talking about it while they were there, but I just couldn't remember Donald Campbell's name. Uh, so I texted John back in Winchester and said, what's the name of the guy who also had broke the land speed record in the States, whose car is in Bewley, which is Bluebird. And then mm. the the boat car, whatever the technical name for that is, I'm not quite sure, but the boat car, the car that worked very fast on water, that was also a Bluebird, but they just had different model names. Afterwards. That's right. I mean, he uh, he's, he's, he's definitely a, a most extraordinarily brave uh, guy, isn't he? I've got a feeling that it's. Uh, I've got a feeling that he might still hold um, the water speed record. Yeah, he might. Nobody's been mad enough to uh, mad enough to attempt it again because it's obviously an incredibly dangerous thing to do, bouncing around on the waves of 
Lake Coniston at hundreds of miles an hour. Yeah. Well, that's another thing. So we have to look up, before the next time we speak, we have to look up witches yeah. in Hampshire and Donald Campbell's <laughs> world record attempts. I'd never been to the Lake District before. And I was going to go once back in the 80s, but I went to Paris instead. Oh, the, as you do. Yeah, as you do. And But the Lake District was... I'm sure nobody needs me to say the Lake District is fantastic, but just the two days I was there were great. And my friends, Dave and Angela, they came over to see the show and they, they live in wonderful rural Derbyshire. And they were sort of like thinking of selling their house in Derbyshire around that time. And I spoke to them recently and they were in Kendall for the show and they, they stayed there two days and they ended up buying a house there. They loved it so much. So, yeah. Kendall's just and the art centre there, the Brewery Art Centre in Kendall. If you know, if you, if you want, it's to, a legendary place, isn't it? Oh, it's just amazing. It's got it's got a multi-screen cinema. It's got oh, a wonderful main room, a smaller studio room, a great bar, great restaurant. It's everything a, that you want in every town. It's everything that oh every town needs yeah it's just and there's even the little lady that comes around with a with, with a tray around her neck uh, in the interval full of mint cake oh really mm, and crampons she sells them too mint cake and crampons during well the because interval. mint cake mint cake is what people take up uh, mountains when they go uh, cramponing up the mountains because it can keep them alive because it's so full of uh, sugar and energy and glucose and stuff like that. Yeah. Have you ever tried mint cake? It's like 100% sugar. No, I love it. It's it's great stuff. And I'm sure crampons are great if you're planning on climbing up something. But to be offering them round to people during the interval in the theatre show seems kind of weird. I'm afraid it? I made that up. But, I oh. mean, they would come in useful. If, you should have kept uh, the you... lie going. That was a great story. <laughs> I was convinced. I was totally convinced because, I mean, you know... <laughs> Kendall's a beautiful place. They make a lot of money off of tourism. So if tourists <laughs> demand crampons and Kendall mint cake, or just mint cake as they call it in Kendall, if they demand that during their intermissions, then sorry, are you are work. we still recording this, or is this you commenting? Oh on no, the no, here? this is definitely this is staying in. This is, is it solid gold? Yeah, absolutely. I have come up with a, a business idea. Uh, I don't know if you want to be in on this. Oh, go on. Mint cake pie. Mint cake pie. It absolutely full, fills every uh, niche you could possibly want because you've got all the carbohydrate in the uh, the crust and you've got all the energy-giving uh, glucose in the contents. I'm just trying to work out how you'd bake it. Well, like a Bakewell tart. Stick it in the oven. That's how you bake a pie, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose Kendall mint cake isn't always a solid substance, is it? At some point in, no. its, in its life. It, it's been liquid and, it's and, liquid. and when you put it in the oven, it would probably sort of soften itself up and then you could break it down the middle and lick it out. So if, it's, if it can be liquid and solid, it, it probably can also be a powder as well. Uh, well, you could get a pestle and mortar and, and crunch it up, yeah, if you wanted to. Yeah, now if you, and then stick it up your nose. Exactly. If you're up a mountain and you need that little bit of a bit of a hit, yeah. then um, yeah, that would be a that would be a pretty handy thing to have, and probably less expensive to the alternatives. Yeah, I know plenty of people who give good money for an energy giving pick you up like uh, powdered mint cake. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway, you know, uh, we were talking um, about 10 hours ago <laughs> about how it came that you uh, turned up at Henry Beaufort School. And as far as I was aware, I thought that you lived in the catchment area uh, to a completely different school, which was Westgate. No, I, I, I originally lived, my dad was the manager of Millets when it was on oh. Jury Street. And Millets, whereabout in Jury Street was Millets? Number 10. Number 10 Jury Street. Is that Street. near the pubs? The, all the pubs that where are now or not? It's next to, I think for, it, it used to be a little, um, it used to be a coffee shop. And then it was a weird cocktail bar. So it's next, it's next door to Spoons. It's next door to Spoons because Spoons used to be Hables. Hables was the bed shop. Yeah. And Millets was, mm -hmm. uh, Millets was next door to that. And we lived in the flat That's... upstairs. And then, um, so I went to school. I went to school. It's my sort of primary school was St. Bede's to start with. But then we moved from the flat above Millets to Berwick Avenue. And then I did my last two years of that school down at Week. So I was at Week Junior. And then when I was 11, I started Henry Beaufort. And we were like 50 feet away from the front door of Henry Beaufort. You know, something uh, about the concept of living in a flat above millets, I just find in, indescribably cool. I, I'm, I'm deeply jealous. It was a huge, of course, huge flat. Massive I, flat. I would imagine all your friends must have been in awe of that. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. You know, <laughs> they, you have unlimited supplies of crampons and mint cake for a start. Actually, yes, there would have been mint cake and crampons there. Well, there's They would have, have sold mint... both those items. Yeah. And for years, they used to sell really nice Czech shirts. I always used to get my Czech shirts from it because they're millets. That's the thing. You see, we moved because millets moved. So millets moved to where it ended up. The being, high street. On the high street. Yeah. Um, and so we moved out of the flat and moved to Berwick Avenue. Crikey. So you had your um, Americana alt-country look about 20 years ahead of when it became fashionable. Oh, yeah. Or more than 20 years. I literally invented it. I wonder if there is any photographic evidence of that. No, no, probably not. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I, did you hear my sort of intake of breath when you mentioned Barrowick Avenue? Because yeah, you, um, I am. You used to live there as well. Yeah, well, I'm I'm utterly phobic about Barrowick Avenue. In fact, um, I, I will do large detours to to get around it because uh, that now, of course, is the land of Aldi. So whenever I go for my German supplies, um, <laughs> I, I would normally drive down Berwick Avenue, but I can't. I have to do a detour around by uh, the new housing estate because uh, that was where I ended up, uh, Richard, when uh, I c came to live in Winchester from Germany. And uh, when I was in Germany, I was living in a very nice, comfortable two-bedroom flat and got back to England and thought, oh, right, where am I going to live? Hadn't, hadn't crossed my mind that I might have to think about something like, where am I going to live? Yeah. Uh, of course, such a thing as a two-bedroom flat to rent didn't really exist in Winchester, or certainly if it did, it would be way out of a teacher's price bracket. So I ended up uh, living in a tiny little box of a room, which... Uh, it was the size not literally of a postage stamp because uh, because that would be one inch by one inch, but 
uh, it was about a couple of meters by a couple of meters square. It was the most horrible box in a, on the face of it, quite attractive, like a sort of half timbered house in uh, the very steep, <laughs> not quite requiring crampons, but it's still a very steep hill, which was uh, Berwick Avenue. Were you Peter Simmons end or Henry Beaufort end? I was right up the other end, uh, uh, the uh, Peter Simmons end. All oh, right, okay, yeah. And literally within days of moving there, uh, I had my uh, one and only complete nervous breakdown of my life because, uh, well, numerous things happened, um, mainly that the people I was condemned to share with were this uh, indescribably dull couple from uh, Winchester County Council, Winchester City Council, mm -hmm. um, who who didn't seem to have any point to their lives at all because they would come home from work, they would cook a, a very stodgy supper consisting of sausages and frozen peas and then they would spend the entire evening sitting on the sofa watching whatever was on TV, which I think was three channels in those days and it shut at 11 o'clock at night and that was the end of that, at which point they would go to bed. Uh, and I had brought my little tiny um, little blue beetle with me that's a car, not an insect, <laughs> from uh, from Germany. And I parked it, as you would, outside the front door of this house where I was living, because that's where you'd park your car, isn't it? Yeah. And literally within within um, hours, um, there was an angry ring on the doorbell, and the people who lived opposite demanded that I should move my car. And I, you know, I said, oh, that's, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't really, I was causing you any convenience, any inconvenience. Uh, but this is where I live and that's the road and that's my car and there's no really yellow lines or parking restrictions. So that's where I've parked it. And they went absolutely apeshit. They said, we find it deeply offensive to look out of our window and see this car parked opposite us where it's uh, uh, ruining our view. And I suspected at the time and probably still do that because I had German number plates, there was some kind of a sort of prejudice thing going on there that they didn't want to a German vehicle uh, sullying their Vista. Yeah, they probably thought you were Bader Meinhof or something. <laughs> well, I, I suppose I very well could have been. I had the droopy moustache and the hair down to almost to my waist at the time. Exactly. Uh, so I probably could 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 very well have been part of that said gang, uh, but uh, but I wasn't. And so therefore, uh, uh, that coupled with the uh, terrible things happening at school, which uh, all emerged in the first few days, uh, I was to spend. Best part of three weeks uh, crunched up in the fetal position in this tiny box of a room, um, crying my eyes out um, and feeling that the world had done me a very bad deal indeed. Blimey. So you, you say terrible things happening at school within the first few days. And before you had said you had rocked up to Winchester and thought, oh, lovely place. And then you'd gone to the school and met Mr. Hubert and thought, lovely place. And then you started and it, and it wasn't a lovely place? What was the... No, it, it was a lovely place, but the problem was a culture shock. I'm sure you've read about these things, that uh, people tend to have um, uh, outbursts of, of anxiety uh, and stress when things happen in their lives that they have no control of. For example, hmm. if you have uh, an unexpected divorce or you find your partner's having an affair or uh, bereavement occurs very suddenly that's when people crack up and in my case what it was was being fired effectively but through no fault of my own so if you remember they were saying to me in Bremen oh yeah we think you're a great teacher and we want you to stay but unfortunately you can't goodbye right 
And uh, so I felt very sorry for myself and I felt incredibly hard done by. I thought, you know, I've done a good job. It's been acknowledged as a good job and here they are not rewarding me but actually punishing me. Mm. But anyway, I came full of optimism and then, of course, I had reckoned without the uh, intricacies of the mad British education system where education is pretty much bottom of the list of things that people care about uh, from a staff point of view. For example, in Germany, all that had ever mattered was the teaching and the learning. Right. But in England, the very first thing I have is all sorts of rules and regulations that you have to uh, enforce. The principal one of which was the concept of school uniform. Well, I'd never come across the concept of school uniform in my adult life because no other country has school uniform. So I had to do things like uh, checking uh, whether the shoes had toe caps or not for the boys or if the shirt was grey rather than white or maybe they just hadn't washed it very well and it was originally white and was on the way to turning grey. But the worst thing was the girls' skirts, which they were allowed certain patterns but only certain ones. So you could have a stripe uh, but you couldn't have a check and you could have a small dot but you couldn't have a polka dot. And most importantly, the skirts had to end uh, two inches above the knee or less. In other words, not exposing uh, things that would uh, upset the equilibrium of little boys sitting next to them. Mm -hmm. So you actually had to check how long the girls' skirts were. Things like that. I, I think I made the cardinal sin of, of probably laughing <laughs> because it is quite funny, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that you're being asked to do uh, that sort of thing to another human being. Um, and I just sort of said, well, I'm not doing that. And uh, that, along with a lot of other um, petty things that cropped up and it just made me angry because I thought, well, I thought I'd come here to teach. And actually, first thing you had to do each day was 20 minute, uh, what was called tutor time, where your job was to sort of virtually give them moral instruction. And thank God it wasn't religious because Bill Hubert wasn't religious and uh, uh, didn't enforce any kind of, uh, you know, Bible element to it. To be fair, Bill, being such an open-minded person, if you if you had members of staff who were religious, he didn't stop them standing up and giving religious assemblies, mm. but he didn't enforce it. But we still nonetheless had to pretty much tell them what their moral behaviour needed to be. And uh, I, I thought what a great idea would be to introduce a lot of debating into this. So I would sort of throw the each issue open up to the pupils and let them say whatever they wanted. And of course, word got back to that particular lady that some of my pupils, because it was uh, just around the beginning of the punk era, you know, yeah. I'd been there for a few months in 77, along came punk and things got very exciting because of course the kids were turning up with bright green Mohicans and things like that. Mm. Uh, so that was quite good because um, I became the champion of the punks and uh, the, the kids all sort of thought, I'll go and speak to Mr. Gray if uh, I've got any issues with this. Anyway, so uh, that, that was why I ended up having my nervous breakdown. But luckily, uh, I got over it with the help of a, a very short period of um, of tranquilizers prescribed by uh, a mad local doctor. And uh, when I discovered actually how awful the side effects were, I just got rid of them and uh, and I've never touched any kind of drug since really so that's quite good oh that's all right well that the 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 person of of whom we speak 
um, she, on the last day of school, everybody was crowded around at the top gate and at the bottom gate. And, you know, that was it. School was done and dusted and everybody was hanging around, probably chucking stuff at each other and being silly and thinking, thank God it's all over. And she was there with, she was there with a megaphone and she was just standing there going, go home, go to your homes. There's nothing to see here. And she, and everybody was looking at her and just thinking, you know, she was, five minutes earlier she would have been a figure of authority and now school was over for all of us that was it it was finished we didn't have to go back to school ever and so she just became this complete figure of fun it was the strange <laughs> thing and it stuck with us so much that definitely myself john mack and tim dixon were there when she did that and to this day we still use those lines in certain circumstances <laughs> the most celebrated one being I'm guessing in about 87, we all went up in our mate Neil's car to see Trouble Funk at the Town and Country Club. And it was wow. the day before the famously non-sweating Prince Andrew married Sarah Ferguson. And we drove back through central London and there was all these people already like milling around trying to get a good place for the next day's celebration for the royal wedding and we wound down the windows and we're shouting at all these people go home go to your homes there's nothing to see here and it's it's just it, it, if you got us in a room somebody at some point after a few drinks is going to start saying that and that is because of her it's one of the abiding memories of in a way, seeing somebody, somebody, somebody's power just collapse completely in front of you. Just somebody who, as I said, five minutes previously had complete control. And then it was it just... Sounds like a, it sounds like it's a really good all-purpose expression that you could use on uh, n numerous occasions. The uh, go home, there's nothing to see here. It, 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 it is, and it has been used a lot. And every time any of us who were there use that line that's the moment we're thinking of that's where it comes I'm, from i'm picturing her as an air raid warden in a hard hat you know with her megaphone <laughs> yeah well exactly well she was i'm trying to think what she would be like so if you if anybody out there can imagine an evil hattie jakes <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> fantastic you know that uh my chief memory of, of this lady was uh that she wore high heels all the time which was very impractical because the school as you remember was built on numerous different flights of steps going in all different directions up the side of, of the hill mm. and one of the main things that we had to do which i used to dread uh, was uh an exam invigilation and the gce exams were happening mm. um you'd have everybody sitting actually uh, very socially distanced in fact that's a good template isn't it for the restaurant of the future because uh those rows of uh Desks had to be a certain distance apart, so nobody was cheating. And you, as uh, part of your duty when you're invigilating, you weren't allowed just to sit and do a bit of marking, which was what I'd have preferred to do. You had to walk up and down. And uh, you had to kind of do a zigzag up and down the rows the entire time uh, with a very stern look on your face. And, of course, when it was her turn to invigilate, these horribly noisy high shoes would go... Crack, 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 <laughs> crack, 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 crack. And anybody may, anybody so much as breathe, she would bark. Silence! Silence! So, 
actually the only person making any noise and causing any distraction was her. And all these kids, you could see them as they as she walked past them, looking at them, for fuck's sake, shut the fuck up. I'm trying to do my flipping maths calculations here. Your room is... The room is still there, yes. I, I, I don't really like to go and check, but I have been told that it's just been used for something completely different, for storing sports equipment or something. But uh, but you, you were saying, I had no idea that you lived in Berwick Avenue, but... Mm. You weren't at the same end as me, were you? No, I was at the other end. I was at, actually at Henry Beaufort end. And oddly enough, I've been up there a few times recently because our friend Sarah and Mike, they now live up that end as well. And, yeah, it's a strange thing walking along Westman Road or along Taplin's Road and then up Berwick Avenue again to go past the old house. And now this sounds really stupid, but everything does seem a lot smaller than i remember it but that's because i was a kid and it is very different now and back then it was pre um pre council house sell-off so all the houses look the same all the houses look like what they were which was council houses but now you can see that so many of them probably 90 percent of them are privately owned because there's lots of doors which are painted pharaoh and ball and lots of uh nice typography on the numbers and and stuff so it's, it's very different up there but the one real sad thing up that area along along westman road there used to be a little bit that we just used to call the rec recreation ground and used to go along Westman road. And just before you hit Berwick Avenue, if you turned right, there was just this football pitch and a little car park with some garages, which, and I guess the garages were for people who lived on Westman road. And especially when we were at Peter Simmons, we used to just go down there every night and play football and play cricket. Um, and that's now, that's now, Westman Close or something like that and has a big bunch of houses on it and for want of a better phrase it obviously was prime real estate that's stuck in this good part this now good part of Winchester and was a big big space that you could build a load of houses on so somebody got in there and built a load of houses but well, those those guys who live there, if they want to do their shopping, well, they'll probably get in their four by fours and they'll drive along to because at the other end uh, there is something I always think that the kind of utterly symbolises the British class system. There are two supermarkets adjacent to each other. One is an Audi and one is a Waitrose. Yeah. Um, but back then, there was a little shop on the corner there at Stony Lane, wasn't there? Oh, Sperrings. Sperrings is the one I'm thinking oh, of. I worked at Sperrings. I was there for years. Years and years and years. Oh, This is something I wasn't aware oh, of. Oh, yeah. Because I, I, I did a paper round, first of all, for Pickards. Um and Rob Pickard used to live in Hairstock, so he used to go around to Rob Pickard's house to pick up the papers. And then from there... To Pickard up the papers. Yeah, exactly. And then you'd go out and do your paper round. And after I'd been doing that a few years, I can't remember how it came up, but yeah, I ended up working at Sparings. I think they just wanted somebody who recognised what a newspaper was and <laughs> didn't mind getting up at half past five in the morning and doing the six to eight shift every morning. So I did the six to eight shift every morning down at Sparings. And it was great because you got to know it just, well, doing shop work is good and in a weird kind of national service kind of way, I think everybody should do it because then you end up learning what you're like in a shop. I think it teaches people how to be polite if you've had to work in a shop. 
And it also gives you this, well, back then it also gave you the, even though I was never any good at maths, after years working in retail, back in those days anyway, before Tills worked everything out for you. God, I sound like a right old person, don't I? Yeah, no, very good for your mental arithmetic. Yeah, exactly. You could just give me a number and I could tell you any number in a hundred and without thinking, I'd be able to tell you what the remainder was. Do you see what it means? If you say 56. 63. I can't do it now. 47. <laughs> you said I can do it till this day. It's something that's never left me. No, I was going to say I can't. 29. No, I can't do it now. 29. I'm not going to do it now. <laughs> I, I, yeah, no, I, I failed miserably at that task now. But back then, up until I was, well, I don't know when I stopped. I didn't stop working in shops for years and years. But yeah, you, that was always, that something that got kind of drummed in. But it was a good job, Did and, you, and you you got to know all these customers that used to come in. The same people came in Monday to Friday at the same time every morning, and you would never learn their names, but you you'd just refer to them as Mister Capstan Full Strength or Mister Rothmans. <laughs> they were just known by the the cigarettes that they bought every morning before going to work. Uh, did you ever notice on a Friday morning that the, uh, the, the, the the string that tied up the bundles of newspapers left on the doorstep for you to take in was sometimes uh, broken or had been cut? Not necessarily. Why is that something to because, do with you? Yeah, it was me. I was the, I was the Berwick Avenue phantom string cutter. And the reason for that was that I was writing articles for the Hampshire Chronicle. Yeah, and uh, it was uh, published on Friday, but they used to leave it late on Thursday night on the doorstep of the newsagents, mm -hmm. including Sperry's. And I would go down there under cover of darkness, and uh, because I was very keen to see if the article had been published and make sure there weren't any typos in it or anything like that, uh, I used to take a pair of scissors with me, cut open the newspaper pile, and steal the Hampshire Chronicle. But me being me, I would always leave the full price on the pile and uh, and then take it home and read it in secret ah so if, it, if i did remember if it was me trying to pick up that bundle of newspapers and it all falling apart and it just creating carnage across the little car park that that would be your fault yeah it would be my fault it probably directly responsible for you being fired and it is the nearest i've ever got in my life to being a criminal actually well i never i i, I stayed there for ages because i after after school I went to Peter Simmons. I had to go to Peter Simmons to because I didn't do very well at school. I had to retake a bunch of O-levels or O-level equivalents at Simmons. So I was at Simmons for a year doing those while all my contemporaries were starting on their A-levels. And then I was meant to go back to Peter Simmons and start my A-levels after I'd done this first year. And I was going to do A-level art and I probably would have done A-level English or something, English lit. But uh, for some reason, they, they didn't let me back in. And I'm still not quite sure to this day. And I'm <laughs> scared to ask it. what it was. <laughs> because they had, they had an induction week, which makes sense. So new students go to the induction week to learn how the college works. And then once you're up to speed, you, you start and you carry on your glorious career at Sixth Form College. And I'd been there for a year, so I thought, well, there's no point me going to the induction week because I've been there. Uh, I've been there a year, so I know how the coffee machine works. I know where the music rooms are. I know where the art rooms are. I know who Dave Lee is, you know. So it, all those things, it didn't seem to matter to me. So 
I kind of went back in at the end of the induction week and said, oh, I'm here to sign up to do the stuff that I want to do the next two years. And they said, sorry, you're not, you're not, your name's not on the list. You're not coming in. <laughs> you're not coming in. You're not on the list. Yeah. So. Well, that sounds like a more petty bureaucracy to me, Rich. Yeah, probably. But it was fine because, as I said, I've been working at Sparings for a couple of years then. And so I walked out of Simmons, walked down the hill past your old house walked into sparings and don ford who was the manager of sparings he was just a top 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 guy i just said don that i'm i'm done for education that's me out of education like can i have some more shifts please and he said yeah sure do as many as you want so i ended up doing evenings as well so that was it you could have ended up with a nice solid career in uh, in retail, Richard, because they they were all taken over eventually by uh, Tesco Express, weren't they? Actually, it's now a carpet shop. Is I it? I still think there would. Yeah. Oh, it is. Uh, it is, of course. A carpet yeah. shop and a hairdresser's. And, and there's a whole sort of area round about, which would, I think, be potentially full of po- potential customers for the wares of sparings. There used to be something else next to it. Wasn't there, wasn't there like an old cycle repair shop or something? Yeah, I think you're right. There's a hairdresser now. And you had that. And then, well, along the road, there was four boys. So four boys and four boys being another small newsagent type place. But Are you sure it's not a corruption of a French word called fourbois? Oh, you're joking. <laughs> I am. <laughs> what is four boys? I, I mean, apart from the fact that it's a, nearly a Rolf Harris song, um, I can't remember... What Four Boys was? Four Boys was was like Sparings. It was. Was it? It's a co-op. I think it's a co-op now. Um, oh. So yeah, you, yeah. I mean, they would they would yeah. You'd go in there and buy your ciggies and your newspapers and your milk and your bread and that kind of thing. So that was for that end of you know, Mrs. Uh, Miss, and Mrs. We were Four Boys. Mrs. Four Boys was a was a character in One Foot in the Grave. Really, the neighbor. Yeah, the neighbor of uh, of, of um, Richard Wilson. One thing that um, we can't uh, omit to mention is that Victor Meldrew uh, met his death in uh, Shawford, just near where I live. Oh, of course, the railway bridge. And people lay yes. flowers there, don't they? Yes, they do. And people people get off the train and and do pilgrimages to uh, to where Victor Meldrew um, finally finally met his uh, end have you ever thought of getting into that game i can see you doing that i can see you like with what, a... crashing under railway bridges no not crashing to railway bridges but having meeting people off the train and you, you'd have like an umbrella over your head to signify that you are the tour leader um and then people meet up with you and you can give them a little tour of of, of the brick that he hit when he died it's not a bad plan, is it no it's because you know we're all casting do. around for new career opportunities at the moment yeah um yeah i'll I'll look into it actually i'll have to identify which brick it was hmm. but i could probably do a deal with a the pub they would sort of provide a, a meldrew burger or something there's there's also there's a bridge just outside of salisbury that the rolling stones <sighs> hit in a van and almost yes. wiped themselves out so you maybe 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 this is something that's that you can expand you can scale this up and you don't have to have just one bridge where somebody died you can have a bridge where somebody famous almost died you you could just do the whole of the south of england there must be plenty of them because one mm. one year in fact in the late 80s when we were driving back late at night from glastonbury festival we crashed into that very self-same bridge that the stones crashed into oh 
I know. Did anything spooky happen? Like, did you then get back in the car, put the radio on and Sympathy for the Devil was playing or something like that? <laughs> Probably, but I, I did consider getting out and having having a piss against it and uh, and being nearly arrested and going into rock legend, but uh, I didn't. <laughs>